0: Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA admissions podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, March 14th, 2022. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going?
1: Very good. Thank you, Graham, despite the, yeah, the tragedies occurring around the world.
0: Yeah, I guess, you know, it's a strange juxtaposition where spring is in the air, at least here in Paris, it's starting to feel a bit spring-like and you know covid is receding into the rear view a bit i mean life is kind of going back to normal but then it's all with the you know the backdrop of everything that's happening in ukraine so very yeah it's just a challenging time but Uh, Yeah,
1: Is COVID disappearing in the rear view or we just don't report on it anymore because there's other stuff?
0: I don't know. Uh, That's a good question. I think the numbers are going down and, and, you know, I think we've, well, we've just reached a state where it's endemic instead of, you know, but, but yeah, this is, uh, yeah, it's just crazy times. Um, But what about, I know last week was the beginning of some crazy times on the admissions front, right? We had Tepper and maybe INSEAD giving out yeah. some decisions, but what's yeah? tell me what's happening and what's on the horizon because now we're getting into it, right?
1: Yeah, Tepper would be the first of the, the US-based sort of big schools releasing decisions. They did that the back end of last week, so that was very exciting. So congratulations, folks that heard from um, CMU Tepper. This upcoming week um, today should be Keenan Flagler. Uh, we've got Duke, um, Darden, um, Oxford side, um, Tuck Amory, Ross, ISA amongst the schools that'll be reporting round two decisions this week. So wow. we're sort of like you know at the the front end of what we call decision weeks. Then the following weeks, some some of the, the the bigger guns will be uh, rolling decisions out. But yeah, lots of activity right now, and best of luck to everyone waiting to hear from these programs.
0: Yeah, it's exciting. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, how how the chips fall. I want to say, I, you know, again, I continue to have conversations with admissions directors, and you know, try to keep my finger on the pulse. And I, I think they're going to be. A lot of acceptances off the wait list from round one, as well as pretty good rates of admission in round two, just given what I've heard about, you know, application volume. So I, I think people are hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, people get some good news, some scholarship dollars to go with it. We, we will see, but uh, it's all, all to come. Uh, stay tuned. We'll try to document this. And Alex, I don't know if you want to get back on Clubhouse at some point, but we might want to do that. Maybe, I don't know, not, I don't know what week you're thinking of, but maybe that week where we've got a lot of the M7 schools delivering decisions. I guess we can you know, put our heads together and figure that piece out. Yeah, that makes
1: sense. It's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. So uh, over on the website, uh, we've had a couple more Real Humans alumni pieces. Uh, We profiled a woman named Courtney Edmonds who uh, works at McKinsey and graduated from Stern back in 2020. Uh, She is originally from New York and uh, had a pretty fascinating background. She worked in translation. I believe she's maybe fluent in, I want to say Chinese and Japanese. And um, she literally went from like a translation uh, or interpreter type work into uh, business school and then out the other end to consulting. So pretty, pretty impressive. You know, people always make these kind of career pivots out of business school, but I love to see them in play. And, you know, we had another woman... Uh, Her name is Natalia Borges and she uh, is from Brazil and works at Microsoft and she's a Duke Fuqua graduate from class of 21, and she went from banking, I think she was in banking for more than five years um, prior to business school, now into tech. So we see these transitions over and over again, but just really cool to read about them. And and I thought it was nice that we had a couple of women that we profiled last week, given that uh, International Women's Day was last week too. So um, I, I'm going to credit Lauren, our editor-in-chief, uh, for kind of engineering that, I'm hoping, um, or maybe it was just a coincidence. We just have a lot of great women to profile, but very cool stuff
1: fantastic. and congratulations to to those that were profiled too. They sound like really fascinating um, individuals.
0: Yeah, no, I enjoyed reading those. Uh, we also did a real humans uh, MBA students where we had Stanford uh, GSB. I think there were seven students profiled in that piece. So if you're interested in Stanford, read those profiles. You'll learn a lot about you know th- these candidates' journey to Stanford and what the first year's been like there. So uh, a lot of fun there. And then the other thing, you know, we continue to roll out these employment uh, or kind of career placement outcomes uh, pieces. And there were two that we did last week. Um, one was about understanding the percentage of, you know, students who are seeking employment and landing jobs at these top programs. Um, so I'll just stop there on that one. Alex, did you have any thoughts on that? I mean, that, that's kind of a sounds like a basic thing, but it was kind of <laughs> revealing to look at.
1: Yeah, I mean, as Elliot sort of pointed out, um, the the author of the piece, I mean, you you go to Stanford, and there's actually a significant portion of folks as classmates that aren't recruiting anywhere, Yeah. um, versus, um, you know, several other programs at the other end of the spectrum where everybody's there basically recruiting and so forth. And that will affect the dynamic of of the class profile, or, or the class experience, I think. Um, when when you've got, I mean, I'm assuming at Stanford, you've got a, a good portion of folks that are uh, basically looking at entrepreneurial opportunities um, and so forth, or you know, having their own business, their own startup. Yeah. Um, so that that reveals that we will be doing a piece on entrepreneurship. Right. Um, here, I think in the the following week, so that that should be um, confirmed. I think in that piece. Yeah
0: and i think um one of the things that strikes me that is that you know, we, schools always sort of throw out these numbers about, oh, this percent of the class went to consulting and banking or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and this percent have jobs, etc. But all those percentages are really based on the number of candidates in the class who are actually looking for work. And so when you look at a place like Stanford, it turns out that only, I think it's less than, what is it, uh, right around 60% are looking for jobs and finding them and going off and, you know, following the kind of regular recruitment process. Um, whereas there's this big chunk, like you say, who are maybe they're going off to start companies. I think some of them might be sponsored, so they don't count either. So it's important to keep all this stuff in mind. There's another little slice that are just continuing with other education. So maybe they're in a joint degree program and Stanford has a number of those, right? So um, in any event, it's just interesting to see. And then the contrast would be I think it was Darden. It's more like almost 90% of the students are looking for employment and finding jobs and, and following that regular recruitment process. So yeah, definitely has an impact on the culture of the school and and stuff that's worth digging into when you're considering where to apply. The, <laughs> the other one though uh, that we did was finance. And I know you've been kind of waiting for this one because it really is fascinating, but we did a whole piece on um finance placements and again we tried to pull back the veil on you know just the basic number that schools give which is oh 20% of our grads went into finance or financial services um, and we got into the real nitty-gritty of well what percent of of that is banking versus i can't remember the other categories what is it vc private equity investment management Um, There's maybe another category or two, even that I'm forgetting, but it was fascinating to see. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that one.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is the first piece that clearly distinguishes the order of of programs, you know, from the very top through that sort of top 16, top 20 that we focus on. Um, And it's clearly illustrated in the types of employments that top tier candidates are really seeking. So if if, if it was a consulting piece, it'd be looking at the MBB employment Mm -hmm. um, um, ratios and so forth. But in banking, it's looking at the buy side versus sell side. And if you look on the buy side, you're focusing on private equity, venture capital and so forth. Um, you will see at the very top of the list is Harvard and Stanford. Just behind them is Wharton. Just behind Wharton will be the remainder of the M seven, and just behind that will be the you know the next you know tier and so on and so. On. It's very crystal clear. That this reflects the, the what we would consider the the tiering system of of, of 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 the of the rankings of the program, so it's very clear. And what it means to me, Graham, is when is it important to really go to the best program that you can get into? Is when you're targeting those sort of elite career opportunities, right. i.e. Buy side and MBB. Yeah,
0: no, it makes sense. And I know that the MBB piece or the consulting piece, we're going to break that stuff down. I think it's coming out either you know today when this podcast airs or maybe you know wednesday of this week so stay tuned on that front because that's in the works i've seen a draft of it and it's ready to go so um very cool stuff
1: i mean unfortunately on the mbb side and i'll just say this out front not all programs are revealing that data right in their employment <laughs> reports i'm hoping what we do do Graham, in subsequent reports is do a more of a deeper dive piece on MBB by exploring LinkedIn profiles and so on and so forth, which is possible to do now yeah. with that sort of additional research, so.
0: I'm hoping that we move the, that we actually, you know, inspire some of these schools to, you know, just report more stuff, yeah. right? Because I yeah. think that they're gonna see, you know, some of their peers are reporting it and some are not. And so, yeah, I think it'd be good to get more granular. Um, so hopefully we'll raise awareness. We, we will see, yes. um, yeah. other stuff going on last week. We aired a special episode of the podcast about online MBA programs, which we don't really talk much about, um, as a rule here, we tend to focus on full-time in person, but you know, with the pandemic and, and just the advent of more and more online programs being offered by you know, top 25 uh, MBA programs that are out there, brick and mortar schools. You know, we we talked a little bit a few weeks ago about that online MBA ranking where you have, you know, Tepper and Kelly and um, I guess USC Foster, some of the, you know, brand names that we know about because they're top 20 traditional MBAs. um, They're in the online space. And so I had a special guest on, uh, a professor named Carolyn uh, Gerner, who uh, teaches at Indiana Kelly. And I just asked her to kind of walk through, you know, how would you go about vetting a program? And, you know, despite being from Kelly, which, you know, ranks number one every year, it seems, but she she was really good about just laying it out and, and you know, talking more generally about all these different um, ways you might assess online. So tune into that one if you have ever contemplated an online MBA. And then the other one that's forthcoming is... I recorded an episode about women in business and particularly women in business school and really like the path to the C-suite for women. And I would have loved to have had it ready for International Women's Day last week, but we just couldn't get the timing together. But it's coming soon. And, you know, one of the facts that I mentioned to you before we came on air, Alex, is that in the U.S. kind of Fortune 500, you know, there are obviously 500 companies and there are only 31 of those companies that have a woman at the helm in the CEO role. And you know. so we kind of started with that as this kind of um, point of discussion with these guests that I had on the show, um, both of whom are women and have MBAs and uh, just really interesting conversation about how do we get um, you know kind of move move the meter there and also the numbers in the business schools like what you know how many schools are actually up above the 40 percent threshold in terms of female representation in the class and stuff so stay tuned for that that, that was a really interesting
1: conversation no very good very good I you, you, you talk about the, the the small number of women that are CEOs um, yeah. Um, I wonder what's the percent of women that are on boards. Yeah, it's probably similar, but I don't know. Well, I don't I don't know that because I'm sure I recently read a report um that that was looking at FTSE um one hundred or whatever that yep. acronym is. Mm-hmm. Um so UK based. And I think the percent of women on boards is actually quite high. But it's the not the, but it it's sort of um, as a result of non-exec board members versus the CEO role right. or something like that.
0: And I do know that there's been efforts made there. I mean, I know, you know, people are increasingly aware of this stuff. And, and when I yeah. see boards nominating new you know new members and things, it seems like there's some movement there. Yeah. Uh, one of the interesting things was that the 31 women who are CEOs of these Fortune 500 companies, um, more than half or at least half of them had... MBAs so I think that's a good sign as well in terms of the value of the degree and the network it provides and so on so in any event um stay tuned for that one other than that I don't have anything you know we haven't gotten any mail no reviews of the podcast that's good
1: Graham let's (laughs) kick on we're running out of time (laughs) (laughs) all right so
0: um yeah so let's move on then we'll get into our candidates for this week and let's talk about wiretaps candidate number one So this is an apply wire entry that we received from a candidate who has uh, 13 schools on the target list. And those schools are uh, Boston College, Columbia, Dartmouth, Duke, Georgetown, Harvard, LBS, MIT, NYU, Rice, UVA, Vanderbilt, and Yale. And this is a military officer who's going to be applying next fall to start the following fall. And you know, for post MBA career, it's a little bit all over the map. Um, they cite consulting, investment banking, or private equity, and then they list companies in each kind of in each of those domains. The GRE score is a 319. The GPA a 3.06. They did graduate from one of the top uh, service academies. They've been working for five years. They're located in San Diego, but they would like to land in the north or southeast um, coming up at post MBA. They know that their GPA slash GRE kind of tandem there is a low point in their application. And they're wondering if they should take the GRE again or maybe take the executive assessment, which they've been scoring well on in practice tests. So I'll kind of turn it over to you because I know you had some back and forth with this candidate and that they also um, went into detail on sort of their, you know, some of their professional accomplishments, which were, you know, pretty stunning uh, to see those listed in terms of the types of military operations and things they've been uh, active with. But what do you make of this? Because these numbers are low, although the school list is, there's a wide range, but still, what's your take on this
1: candidate? Yeah, I mean, quite honestly, I, I would agree the numbers are the concern here. And I say that because, you know, I think the candidates had some terrific experience, Um, as well as being involved in sort of extracurricular activities and so on and so forth. Um, So that side of the profile is likely outstanding, Mm -hmm. right? So where is the weak point? It's going to be the numbers 319 GRE, 306 um, GPA. What's the issue here? It's going to be these numbers that's going to define which program they get into, because if they can raise that bar a little bit and, and it's complemented by outstanding um, professional experience, then they're going to have access to better schools. There's just no doubt in my mind about that. It's very clear that if they retake the GRE bolster that score a little bit, do MBA math or HBS core or whatever it is. Just really focus hard on improving that side of the profile. That's really, really um, important. The other side that needs to be addressed and, and to be thought through is having focused goals. Hmm. Um, so, not sort of oh, I might go into investment banking or consulting, but really think through which pathway makes most sense. And it would, I would imagine, it's consulting because that's a very typical path coming out of the MBA. Um, so, so look at that short term. And then in the long term, I'm not sure I'd talk about politics, not because politics is such a sensitive topic, um, but I would be looking more at the professional um, progress in terms of going to, you know, COO type role, CEO or whatever it is type role in an industry about which they can be passionate. Um, And then, you know, politics might be a, a, a very long term prospect, that's perfectly fine. But I would be more focused on, on, on sort of corporate and focus goals. If, if, if they really committed to politics in the shorter term, then they've really got to justify why the MBA versus maybe an MPA or whatever the other op- options are in terms of uh, master's programs that would be better aligned with a political career. Um, so the the reason why I chose this candidate and I know they actually applied, posted to apply a little while ago and I, I neglected to select them was because they have such a fantastic profile that if they can affect these other aspects, I think they should be applying to the top schools. They, you know, the very top schools, they shouldn't be sort of spreading their 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 prospects so so wide, hence, you know, you said that they're looking at 13 schools right now. Mm-hmm. This is an M7 candidate, if they can really sort of bolster their, their academic profile a little bit, Graham.
0: Yeah, so when I first saw this, I was like, okay, um, military candidate, with a really stellar background. We don't have to get into the details, but they've been involved in some pretty impressive operations in the field. I mean, they, they clearly have all you would want on the work experience side and leadership that, you know, a lot of these top schools um, really enjoy finding candidates who have this, right? But the numbers, yeah, they make you sort of turn your head. I do think that the, you know, the GPA, I, I feel like, you know, okay, it's just above a three. Um, it's certainly below average, but it's a service academy. We know there's limited grade inflation at the service academies. They could probably write an optional essay explaining, you know, maybe what it was that sort of set them back. It sounded like they, um, you know, had to take a bunch of quantitative stuff that was a struggle for them at the time. Although, you know, they have to be careful, right? Because business school is fairly fairly quantitative as well. So, But in any event, I could live with the GPA, but the GRE score at 319 concerns me. And I was going to say to you, if this person had a three- 30 or even a 325 i feel like this would be you'd be like okay m7 um they're gonna write their ticket into a top you know program yeah because we know military candidates are you know schools like them and you know they have a lot of leadership and there's there's all kinds of great um experiences they can bring to the classroom i also i don't like the you know the, the sort of um i don't know the wishy-washy kind of career plan like they don't seem to know whether they want to do consulting or banking they got to figure that out as you said I'm not. I'm not as worried about the politics thing. Like I, they mentioned, oh, is that like a third rail? Don't don't go anywhere near it. I don't mind if they say that in the long run they have a, some political aspirations. In fact, we've seen a number of MBAs, um, you know, who. Uh, you know, who, who go into politics. It's more common now than it used to be many years ago. But I, I agree with you though, that they probably need kind of, I'm going to do consulting. I then want to be a COO or, you know, do some kind of C-suite related um, work. And then eventually I would like to get into politics. So I think it has to be a more of a, like you were saying, a very long range kind of plan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if I were this person, I did want to ask you, cause they're saying, oh, I don't know if I can get better on the GRE, but I'm doing really well on executive assessment. Uh, uh, practice tests, but what what's your take there? Because I don't think they should take the EA given that they want to have a range of schools to apply to, but I feel like you probably would agree with that.
1: Yeah, I'm not a fan of the EA period if you can do well on any of the other tests because I do think it limits your options. There are some schools that accept it. It's a, it, you know, the order of priority in terms of test taking should be gmat gre and executive assessment mm-hmm. and gmat gre might be pretty close at this point yeah but a gap to executive assessment and certainly test waiver is the the fourth in that in that list of priority
0: yeah i so i would what i would say is this person's not going to apply until the fall right so they have time right. i mean and so yeah. i would say do whatever it takes you know hire a tutor whatever you need to do to boost your test score and you know i don't know i mean they they they've been taking the GRE i don't I sometimes change the scenery like work on the GMAT whatever they need to do get a score that puts them more in play because it's going to be, I just feel like there's a missed opportunity here with respect to the M7 type schools if they don't at least get, you know, that score up. Because right. you can't, it's just hard to go in with both a low GPA and a low
1: GMAT Matter GRE. So, yeah. that That's my point. And the fact is, this is probably an outstanding candidate. So sort it out yeah. and make yourself, you know, a, a profile that a top school will be seeking.
0: Yeah. Yes. Agreed. So I want to thank that person for posting and also for their service. Um, I encourage everyone to read the profile yeah. on the site. It's pretty impressive. So um, good luck. Uh, they probably didn't want to hear this advice about the test, but you know it is what it is. We're trying to help you get, get into the best school possible. So um, let's move on, though, and talk about wiretaps candidate number two. So this is another apply wire entry. Um, and this person is going to apply next fall to start in 23, although they're also thinking they might even wait another year depending. They've got four schools on their target list, and those schools are Harvard, Stanford, Wharton, and Kellogg. They have been working in a family business, so kind of an entrepreneurial role, and they want to stay in that role kind of post-MBA. GMAT score is 760, GPA 3.51, They've only got uh, to this point two years of experience, I guess, and they they would have three at matriculation, uh, apparently. So maybe they actually have one now, and you know it'll be three by the time they would matriculate in the fall of twenty three. Um, they are located in India and intend to return to India afterwards. And I'll let you kind of speak to their background and and some of the questions that they've posed to us because they actually asked us a series of very direct kind of questions about their candidacy. But I did want to mention that they wrote that they have to begin by saying that I really love your podcast. (laughs) found it on Google about two weeks ago and have been listening to it every time I get the chance. I would really love to be featured on the podcast, so there you go. Um, so here they are, um, Alex, what do you make of this candidate because they have a number of sort of dilemmas and you know the kind of younger working in a family business, et cetera
1: yeah, yeah I mean there's lots of potential upside with this candidate. I think they're obviously young early in their career tra- trajectory, um, but there's lots of sort of signals that point towards a, a terrific upside. Seven sixty on the G map, so please don't don't spend any energy retaking that. <laughs> yeah. That's already in the sort of stratosphere. Yeah, um, they, they're concerned. You know, how will their school be sort of evaluated um, relative to other schools in India and so on and so forth? That's out of the candidate's control, so there's not really much point in worrying about that. But I would imagine that the Adcom. Um, in this day and age, are it, pretty conversant of the different programs and so on and so forth. So I w- but the point is, I don't think that's something that needs to, you know, some someone needs to worry about. Um, now, they, they're early in their career, so they're planning to apply maybe next season or the season after. So that's very good. In terms of that question specifically, there's no harm in applying a little earlier. Um, applying to, uh, you know, only to the sort of top schools that you would absolutely love to attend. If, you, if, if they're not admitted, they can reapply, right? And reapplicant admit rates generally are higher as someone continues to progress in their career. And for other reasons, you know, there's an upward trend in in their story and so on and so forth. So mm. the, I, I think they should take a chance, apply next season, and, and see where the chips fall. Um, They're working in a family business. It's an early stage startup. They've done very well. Um, They're the CMO and, you know, working with their mother and so forth. They have, you know, I think um, the budgets are pretty good, their their revenue and and so forth. So it seems like a legitimate business that they've undertaken. Um, And, you know, they've... They've done very well. One of their questions is, should they switch um, into a sort of a larger environment um, before they go off to business school? And my answer to that is, don't do it for the sakes of your application. If they genuinely believe a different experience would be a better growth experience for them, and it makes sense for them, them, their family business, that they they can leave and, and not jeopardize that, it might make sense. But... Um, if they're learning and growing and thriving and doing lots of interesting things in their small family business, I think that's a great environment to continue to grow and develop and so on and so forth. So I wouldn't switch um, for any other reason than how, how will it enable their own particular personal sort of growth, professional growth and, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a question. Um, now, challenges that they'll face is going to be seeking recommenders, right? right. So, um, you know, how do how they go about that? They're going to need to probably ratchet up their extracurricular activity um, and and take on some leadership in that that domain about something about which they're passionate. So don't just do it for the sakes of doing it, but do it you know, all in because it's something about which they're passionate so that they can potentially work with someone that's going to be willing to write one of those recommendations for them to see them outside of their, their sort of family work environment. Um, yeah, then maybe it's an accountant or, or a service provider, but, but that's always going to be challenging um, um, if, if, if they need to get two recommendations. Some schools, it might only be one, but most schools, it'll be, still be two. Um, but yeah, a lot of upside here graham yeah um lots of potential yeah
0: yeah i agree i think um when it comes to the recommendation you know they they seem to yeah they're really worried about you know getting that from within the family business. And I agree. And and I think we've said it before on the show, but you got to go outside and that doesn't mean it has to be from an extracurricular. It could literally be from, you know, the lawyer for your firm or the accountant or someone that, um, or someone that you've worked to develop. They mentioned they have all these partnerships across India with where, where they're kind of, I guess, delivering whatever it is that they're um, selling, et cetera. So finding someone who at least isn't blood related and can speak to, you know, they're ideally someone who's older which shouldn't be hard, this is a young candidate, right? But just finding someone who at least in theory could be in a bit more of a mentor kind of role and and could weigh in. And I know it's gonna be challenging, but they're gonna have to figure out a way. Obviously you cannot submit a letter from someone that's um, a blood relation that I presume is, <laughs> should be obvious, but um, yeah, so that's, that's one challenge. I agree with you. They, they had this whole thing where they're asking us, should I retake the test and try to get a 780 or 790? Cause this is an Indian male, but I think 760 is great, as you said. So don't even worry about that. Um, they went to a liberal arts college in India, which is a kind of unknown college, apparently, or lesser known, even though it was set up by some American, um, you know, uh, colleges that wanted to, or some graduates from American colleges that wanted to have a liberal arts kind of opportunity in, in India. So, uh, you know, but as you said, there's not a lot they can do about the fact that it's lesser known. It's not one of the IITs, obviously. And so, you know, but I, I feel like, you know, admissions officers, as you say, it's their job to look into this stuff. So that'll happen. Um, And yeah, I I just feel like they should shoot for the moon, apply this year and see, you know, this fall and see what happens. And what did you think? They had this whole comment on school selection. You know, they have, they have four schools on the list and somebody was really helpful and said, gee, given that you want to work in kind of um, what what is it luxury goods and retail and that kind of stuff which I believe is the domain of the current business. Why wouldn't you look at Asha which is really known for that or even NYU Stern, which has even a special one year MBA in, in kind of fashion and things and 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 a good reputation overall um, And this person said, well, I don't know if I want to be in Europe. Um, I don't know if the you know I need to go to a school where the brand is well known in India so, I don't know what if you had any thoughts on that, like should they be expanding the net or you think just go with the schools on the list for this first round here?
1: Either which way, they need to know the schools better. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I try to make that point a little bit. Um, So not targeting schools simply because they're the top schools, right? So I think they had Harvard, Stanford, whatever, Kellogg. But I mean, you know, they're very good schools, but they've clearly got to get under the hood and look at their particular offerings, the the sort of learning culture, the environment, and really understand their fit to these individual programs. And as that um, commenter suggested, I thought actually that their, their input was outstanding in terms of the advice they gave, in terms of why getting the MBA yeah. for sort of personal development and growth and and, what, what, and passion for the industry rather than, you know, it's because that's, my obligation what i got to do for the family business so there was some really good interaction there yeah but also this school choice very very important because the obvious choices are as you as they mentioned and you you sort of firm there are programs in europe that focus on luxury brands more so than perhaps the us and then in the us stern would be a a good, you know, Stern has a p- particular track for this. So yeah. um, they've got to do a lot more research on these programs.
0: Yeah, agreed. And I want to give a shout out. That's a relatively new uh, poster who gave that advice and their handle is mnemonic the hedgehog. So I want to just give them a, a shout out. Cause, I did not even know
1: what that means. Yeah,
0: well, I guess there's Sonic the Hedgehog, which is a children's or, you know, kind of a, a video okay. game or cartoon. But yeah, so it's a little bit of a play on words. But I, I think, um, yeah, no, they've been providing some great advice, as have yeah. many members of the community, which we love to see. Yeah. Um, so I want to thank that person, uh, the, the original poster for putting that, um, up there. They have some time uh, to figure all this out, but I agree. You know, I think we've given them some, I'm going to add,
1: add one more point. Graham, yeah, no, go and ahead. This is a little touchy, <laughs> but I, hopefully it's received in the, in the, in, in, in the right way. But this, this poster does come across as being young, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Not just because they have two years of experience, but but you know, professional maturity is is something that will will be sort of judged also in 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 the application process. So making sure that they come across as, as sort of professionally mature, even with the the lesser number of years. And the only reason why I suggest this is in their most recent sort of um, comments, sort of outlining their impact at work which is very very good Um, some of it is quite tactical in nature Mm -hmm. um, and I just want to caution them that, that that might sort of um, come across, it, it might label them as being a little bit less than quite ready yet mm-hmm. um, for, for, for this experience at the very top schools. Right Now, if this person was targeting, let's say, top 16, 20 programs with the numbers they have in the, and this sort of short experience, they're, they're gonna be, you know, they apply early obviously because of that sort of India male um, category yeah they're going to be um provided scholars you know that easy access but when they're targeting the very very best programs all these little things make an impact agreed
0: yeah so i want to thank them for sharing their profile obviously they have time and they can share with us further comments on that post and you know what they think about what we had to say on the show today but yeah interesting stuff and you know still time to get get that candidacy kind of ready yeah
1: and best of luck to them yeah, yeah absolutely fantastic.
0: so let's move on and talk about wiretaps candidate number three So our final entry uh, candidate for the week is uh, a Decision Wire post, uh, and this is someone who applied to Columbia, Tuck, Harvard, MIT, and Yale, and they ended up getting in everywhere except Harvard, um, and they actually got some money, right? So Columbia gave them a $160,000 scholarship, uh, Tuck gave them the same. MIT initially offered them one hundred and thirty thousand, but then ended up bumping theirs up to one hundred and sixty to match the offer that the candidate had received from other schools. And Yale also gave this person one hundred and sixty thousand dollars. So they've got plenty of money on the table, um, and uh, they're going to be starting school this fall. They don't know which one they want to pick. Well, they well, well we'll get into where they where they want to go. But they initially the debate for them has been between MIT and Columbia. Uh, they want to work in asset management. Um, ideally, And they, they basically, the, the numbers were a 750 and a 39 GPA. So pretty impressive stuff. Uh, they, they've been working and living in Japan, although they are an American citizen, as we learned from the comments that took place after in the conversation. And basically, they just said that Sloan feels like a better fit for them, but that people keep telling them that CBS is better for asset management which is what they want to do post MBA. And so they're wondering, you know, how true is that? And they actually mentioned, oh, the employment reports aren't substantially different. And I, I don't know if they, how, you know, deeply they delved into that. I'm presuming they did their homework, but um, yeah, so they're wondering, you know, what, what they should do. And, and obviously as the conversation went on, on the entry, I think they reached a decision, but I wanted to just hear like, what's your point of view on this? Because that's an interesting dilemma, you know, Sloan versus Columbia.
1: Yeah, I mean, two outstanding programs. And this does seem like an outstanding candidate. So I wonder why they did blanked out a little bit at the very, very top. Yeah. But obviously they got a lot of money at, at, at the, the very next best, you know, the likes of... Sloan and, and columbia and, and so forth, so sure, um, yeah, this is what we call the first world champagne problem or something <laughs> yeah. I suppose yeah. and and they actually renegotiated some scholarship to bump up their their offer at, at, at Sloan, so that was pretty slick on their part yeah um, yeah, I mean the numbers don't lie, right asset management, you might even th- tilt it in favour of Columbia. I think that's yeah. what our, our, our data would suggest, right, Graham? And, uh, yeah. And, and and yeah, I think Columbia ha- does have the reputation for that. But, you know, the, at the end of the day, with the quality of, of this candidate, with the resources that Sloan has, the resources that Columbia has, I think they are in, in great shape to pursue um, their opportunity at either of the schools. So FIT, which seems to be something that was clearly very important for this candidate and their sense that sloan was the better fit um yeah yeah sort of help help swing the swing swing into sloan's favor and and the, actually the community that contributed seemed to favor sloan in this case graham so i thought it was quite an interesting debate i didn't really have a lot of great insight to add other than the the fact that this is a high profile candidate and it's great to see the opportunities that they're having
0: yeah, um, yeah.
1: going to business school it's yeah. it is
0: impressive I mean these these offers are um, pretty nuts in terms of the scholarship dollars too yeah. I will say you know in that piece that we mentioned earlier in this podcast the piece that where we broke down finance placements by subcategory um, you know CBS has about ten percent of their graduating class going into investment management or asset management. Um, and so that's it. That's the, the number one school for that in terms of the you know, percentages. Right. And then, you know, Sloan is more at around 4.3 percent. So there is a difference. With that said, um, this person has worked in more of an operational role uh, within the kind of uh, hedge fund asset management domain. So they may have some connections and, you know, the conversation that took place on the website where people were weighing in pointed out that there are a lot of good funds and, and firms in the Boston area that Sloan has some ties to. And they also even got into some debate about the style of investment, you know, asset management, whether you're kind of a, a quant person or more of a fundamental, like there's just a whole bunch of different uh, conversations that started to take place. And I will say, you know, I, I'm a big believer in FIT. And so you know it's two years of your life you're going to spend somewhere, and so you got to go where you think you're going to be happy. And I, as you said, this is a stellar candidate with a lot of opportunities, and I, I think they're going to they're going to land the job they want post MBA, regardless. So if they want to go to Sloan, which it seems like that's the decision that they've taken here, then you know hats off to them, and I'm sure they're going to do really well. But it was just an interesting debate given Columbia's strength in this specific domain. But yeah, it is what it is. And, and you know, they have the right, they, they just have this feeling for, for Sloan. So that's
1: where they're going to go. Yeah, yeah. Best of luck to them. Fantastic.
0: Yeah. So um, we've done it again. Three candidates. Hopefully a, a handful of admissions lessons imparted along the way. Uh, I want to uh, thank you, Alex, for picking these out. And we'll be back in one week's time to do it all over again with a new set of candidates. So yeah, thanks, Alex. Always a pleasure. <laughs>
1: Very good. Stay safe, everyone. Take care.